tonight on the Week in IndyCar guest episode. Who do we have? Been almost two years since we had the absolute terror of Toowoomba, that being our man DJ Willie P, William Jehoshaphat Power. How are you, brother man, on a Thursday evening dinner time? Yeah, I'm doing well, man. I've, uh, I've had dinner. I've uh, uh, put the little guy down for bed. He's asleep, and um, I'm talking to you, so it's a good night. Yeah, well, thank you for that lie. So you spent the whole day at the cart track, working your behind off, trying to get uh, a beautiful willpower cart ready. And tell us about how much time you got to use this beautiful cart of yours after putting in so much effort today. Yeah, it's pretty much worked all day for one eight-minute session at the end of the day, but um yeah i'll go out again tomorrow uh yeah it's amazing how time consuming it is when you try to like fit a seat in and get it right and then a a wheel alignment and fit a floor on all that stuff is uh very very time consuming but once you've done it once you'll wrap you'll pump it out and like i know next time i'll put a seat in it'll take me 30 minutes wow (laughs) well uh, yeah before we started recording uh, we we're talking about how the two of us as younger pups spent a lot of our youths, uh, you obviously on the driving side, but you weren't a young prima donna driver. You were the guy putting motors in your formula Ford and doing this and that and getting your hands dirty, learning how to do everything alignments and whatnot. I mean, that's invaluable, right, man? I mean, folks know you as willpower guy that's one and all blah, 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 but the baseline beneath that is guy who used to bust his knuckles getting race cars ready as a mechanic and kind of being all things at once. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I look back at those days as the most enjoyable part of my kind of, I guess, say youth. But, um, yeah, it was, you know, engine changes, gear ratios, wheel alignments, loading the trailer myself, uh, taking it out, testing myself um yeah everything is basically uh i i learned so much in in those years and uh you never forget that stuff and it, it just goes, gives you great insight into how mechanically um things work on your race car you know things like diffs uh bars rockers um you know everything the gearbox you know you actually know what a dog ring is you know what i mean yeah um yeah just things like that it's yeah invaluable and just great experience on how to prepare something the right way uh just good good life experience well let's say thank you as always and get into our awesome listener q a so thanks to all of you who sent in questions for will thanks as always to our partners here at the Justice Brothers and Cooper Tires, torontomotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. So you did not so bad last weekend uh, at the good old Harvest Grand Prix there, Will. So we got a question or two around this. Going to kick off with our pal Richard Hinshaw. Says, Will, congratulations on beautiful drives, especially on Saturday. Uh, And then that amazing dirt track save of yours on Friday. He says, uh, on their podcast, Hinch and Rossi mentioned that the drivers who are usually the quickest on the indie road course use some unorthodox techniques to get that extra 10th or two in lap time says I could be wrong, but I assume they're talking about you and your relative dominance there. Richard's curious. Is there anything there that you do that's you'd say special? And do you keep those secrets sealed away to make sure that nobody else knows about them? Uh, You know what? Um, Every track has a unique approach. They're all different. And, um, you know, it has a unique kind of setup that you follow. Like, you know, it's not, not like you have road course setups and street course setups and oval setups. They're actually very track specific. And the driving style probably applies a little bit too. But uh, nothing special, honestly. It's, uh, it's a matter of, as per usual, you know, getting the car right for yourself and the way you drive and then, um, executing, you know, for qualifying a flawless lap on the exact lap that it counts when the tires are perfectly have perfectly come in. So that's that's always the case, and that was the case again on Saturday for me. And uh, you know, just I have a, quite a smooth style of driving. I don't uh, 
hurry any inputs or anything. They're all it's all very nice and flowy, um, and uh, yeah, that's it. It's very nothing nothing abnormal about the driving style. Let me ask a, a quick follow-up here, and it's not specific to driving, but just something that a lot of folks saw. You celebrating in Victory Lane in that silver Verizon livery. We've seen it before, obviously, in black, but I think it's you've had it long enough where it must be the longest tenure between driver and sponsor we have remaining in IndyCar today. I mean, I know Dixie had target for a thousand years or whatever it was but since that went away i think that distinction goes to you and verizon does that ever i don't want to say get old because that's a dumb thing to say but you've been with them for so long i don't know if it ever comes a point where the car almost fades away because you're so used to seeing it or does situations like celebrating in victory lane on saturday just you look at that car and go wow this is a pretty special relationship we have. Yeah, no, I I appreciate it every time I get in that car to have such a sponsor as Verizon, such a rec- recognizable brand. And um, uh, I have been very fortunate to be able to have that sponsor pretty much throughout, well, it is throughout my whole career with Penske, which has been 12 years. So, um, I mean, there's like one or a couple races where you weren't in Verizon colors, but it's it's one of those bizarre percentage yeah. things where you go pretty much your entire time with Roger has been with one sponsor. Again, we just it's not something you see. Yeah, it's um you're right. It's hard to keep um you know good sponsors for that long. But when you're a team like Penske and, and a guy like Roger, it certainly makes it easier to keep sponsors like that on board. So I hope it continues. Um uh, I would love to finish my career with Verizon on the car um, because it's been a great partnership. We've won a lot of races together. We've won a championship in Indy 500. And um, I became friends with uh, the CEO and um, uh, both the guys, Dan Mead and and Alol McAdam, uh, from the very outset in 2010 when when they became full-time. I'd call them after every race and, and I still remain friends with those guys now. Um, even though they have no real, no real part in running Verizon anymore, they're both retired. So, um, yeah, it's it's been a great relationship, and I hope it continues. I mean, that's you know, all good things come to an end at some point, but I hope that uh, that continues uh, and finishes out my career. I think if you get like a full Verizon tattoo across your chest, that's what'll make sure that they stay. So that's prob that's probably the time that they do leave. <laughs> we don't really like tattoos and yeah, no, nah, that's the, you're not mentally stable. <laughs> We're going to pull out. Could you imagine yeah. RP showing up with that, like on his Verizon, oh. on his forearm? Like, oh my gosh, that'd be amazing. Oh my God, that would be a great comedy. Uh. That's what you put in a comedy movie. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to uh, let's go to our pal JJ Gertler says, Mister Power, would you rather be chasing someone down in the closing laps for the win or managing a healthy lead like you did on Saturday? He's also curious: is there a hardest part from a driver perspective of leading so much of a race like you did? What What is tough when you're leading is when you when you're getting down to the wire and there's back markers. And some of those guys decide to make it difficult for you because it's your team. It's the, sorry, it's their team that are chasing you down. And the guy that is really chasing you down's father is on the radio of the guy that you're trying to lap. <laughs> that makes it real <laughs> difficult. That dude races the hell out of you. And, um, yeah, and that that's always difficult. You're coming across traffic, and there is no rule in an IndyCar that says they have to let you go. They can race you as much as they want, um, which I feel like that's a rule that should be changed in the la- after the last pit stop of the race or the last whatever percentage of the race where it's, you know, pretty much if you're a back mark, it's like, yep, I've had a bad day, the car wasn't good or something happened on the, you know, one of the restarts at the start and I'm just going to be respectful and let you go. But I tell you what is satisfying is if you have chased someone all day 
and it is the last stint and, and you get them before the start finish line. Like you get them before you, you win the race in the last, you know, five laps or something. To me, that is um that is very satisfying. But it's man, I I really enjoyed that race because I had nothing left and Herder was super strong at the end and you know, I, I you were seeing the absolute most that I had and I think you were seeing the most that he had. So you're seeing two drivers just giving it everything and I would say the same for Alex. Uh, you, you know, obviously he chose blacks, but man, both those guys put significant pressure on me and um, it was really on me not to make a mistake and and uh, do my absolute best to keep him behind. So it's a very satisfying win. Work. Work is required. I love that. Uh, Joe yes. Nowotny asks, Will, what do you want more? Second championship, second Indy 500 win, or the record for most wins or most polls? Knowing you, you're going to say all. Um, yeah. But is yeah. there anything that lives inside you like, oh, if I get that, I can, I can retire happy? Yeah, well, obviously – you know, you'd always put a second Indy 500 above everything because it's just such a significant event. But a championship for personal satisfaction, another championship, because it really is the guy that has done the best job all year. And and that is something, and I shouldn't say the guy, the team, the whole team, because it's such a team effort. Uh, you know, you, no one can make a mistake in that group, in your group, uh, if you want to win a championship. So... Definitely, definitely another championship for me would uh, really round out my career in a, a, a in a satisfying way. I would, I would put it, Joe. I can confirm that. I just not as a reporter, not just as a friend. I want Will to retire with a second championship in hand because he's going to be so miserable. <laughs> for the yeah. rest of his life without it so you know we're, we're just trying to make the world a happier place here um the, hashtag yeah, second yeah, title are, for dj willie p there are other goals in there like you know imagine beating mario for the polls and i would love to surpass michael in wins like they're just those the andretti name is such a big name in that sport and just to be up and around them is something i never would have dreamed of so yeah it's it is what it is. I'm out there doing my best. I just, you know, what I'm loving right now is the fact that I'm driving the absolute best I ever have. I'm still going faster. I, you know, I'm still learning. I'm still getting better, and uh, I'm enjoying that. I really am. Your curiosity is something that folks maybe don't grasp enough. You are not the guy who shows up at every race who's just like been here before, been to this track 20 times, whatever. This is just number 21. Your approach is you're just always curious what's new, what's different, what what can I look at and see, what can I try. It's that thing where sometimes when you see a driver who's been doing this for a long time at a high level, and they start to lose a little bit of crispness. And I always wonder if that curiosity to explore and try and not feel like you're just stuck in, you know, the same old routine if that starts to take place. So I don't really foresee mm. this ever changing for you, um, or yeah. at least not for a long time. Uh, yeah, I think, you, I think you would not enjoy your racing if you were just turning up. Uh, at that point, I would retire. I, I, I could not. I think it would be just boring. There has to be some improvement constantly. Otherwise, it'd just be, it would become Groundhog Day for you. Mm. let's go to uh, isosceles says will how has your physical training been affected throughout the pandemic uh how is a typical session different than maybe with a pre-pandemic and also asks have you noticed any physical changes to your training routine as you get closer to 40 um i've uh, i've definitely refined my training routine and as that pandemic was hitting i quickly purchased a rowing machine and a ski erg machine and i've got some pretty nasty stairs at my place so that has been my training program for the most part um using those machines and i have i've refined it down to being able to do a lot less than i ever did and be fitter than i ever was 
it turns out that just pounding your body for two hours on a bike or a run, you know, for more than an hour or something just tears you up and you really gain no more fitness. So you can become very efficient with the way that you train and get yourself to a very high level um, with a lot less. And, you know, I just think, and that's, you know, I, I think you'll see studies coming out showing that, that it's, it's not necessary to do just big mileage. You feel like yeah, if you do, you know, if you used to think when you're young, the more you did, the fitter you got. And that is not true. We're getting training tips. I love it. We're going all over the place here. So great yeah. question. Uh, two questions from Grant Stouter and Daniel Ingleton, both, both asking about how does it feel to have your home country recognize you with a purpose built uh, racing facility in your name. Curious how that conversation got started. Grant says, and Daniel yeah. adds great news. You're having a racetrack built in your hometown named after yourself. Uh, would you yeah. like to see IndyCar visit the track in the future? So tell They're us about it. this. They actually are building it to a standard that could uh, host an IndyCar race. I think they actually have that in mind, but I'm not sure Roger wants to leave the country to anytime soon, but, it's uh, I can't tell you how much that means to me that um, a group from my hometown to Woomba, the Wagner family, which has done a lot of good around that town um, with construction and um, uh, their big business was cement when I was there. They owned a lot of cement trucks. And um, uh, yeah, it, 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 everything those guys do is first class. Um, a massive budget is going to be near 200 million. Huh. And it's going to be an unbelievable complex and and track, and we'll be able to host, um, you know, the very top level of motorsport events. So, uh, yeah, just means a massive amount to me to be recognised in that way and have a racetrack named after me. And uh, yeah, the the way the conversation for that was simply those guys sent me an email and said would it be okay if we use your name? It's the name. I said, absolutely. Um, that would be, that would mean so much to me. So that's, that's how that went down. That's pretty amazing. I'm struggling to think of any other IndyCar drivers that have a track named after them, active IndyCar drivers at least. So I think you might yeah. be uh, in a pretty, pretty good place there. Uh, let's go to our pal, Tim Falkowitz, who puts together the uh, Q and a questions for me here says, Hey, Will, I've seen photos of Will Power Karting on Twitter, but that's about all I know. Says he's curious, what led you to want to start your own kart manufacturing uh, production and sales business? And how did it come about aside from the carts themselves? Is there anything else you sell? Should also throw in here that you and your very active karting helped you to spot some young talent that... Uh, I guess would we could say are very thankful because they're uh, getting plugged into some cool things with Mr. Penske in the IndyCar series too. Yes. Well, um, yeah, the karting thing came about last year. Uh, there's a huge event for go-karting in Vegas. It's called the Supernats. Um, and people come from all around the world to race there. And I have my old crew chief in Penske, who now is uh, uh, one of the has a managerial role in the McLaren IndyCar team. And uh, Billy Vincent's his name. The awesome Billy Vincent. The awesome Billy Vincent. He he uh, was my mechanic at that that event. And uh, during the event, he said, "You know what? You should do your own car." And we kind of talked about it and. Honestly, I, I didn't really take it all that seriously. I thought, oh, yeah, that could be good. And then um, after he had a conversation with Eric Jones, who runs Kart Sport and, you know, has a huge presence in karting and has a lot to do with uh, um, everything go-karting and runs a, runs a kart shop and is the importer for Kart Republic said well why don't you make the wheel power cart uh, a car republic which is built in italy and these the brand car republic is winning everything in europe right now and is very competitive and it's done the same here in the u.s so i was very fortunate to get lined up with those guys um, i don't manufacture them they basically build the chassis and 
painted in my colours and decaled in my colours and uh, we kind of did it with the vision of helping young people bridge that gap from karting to cars and we've kind of already started doing that with uh, a young guy, uh, uh, Miles Rowe, was a guy recognising karting years ago and he'd been out of cars for a couple of years and uh, uh, obviously with this, he's an African-American kid and uh, with the diversity program coming about with Roger, I suggested you need to test this guy. He's very good. He's a really good kid. And um, that has actually progressed very well to the point I think he, we hope he gets a, a ride in F2000 next year. So, um, And I have uh, other kids as well that I've met through karting um, uh, that I can help get into that diversity program um, which will give them a huge leg up to to make it um, all the way to the top, actually, with, with someone like Roger behind the program. So, uh, you know, we we created that car, the, the brand to kind of do that, uh, find basically um, not just diversity, but kids who just simply don't have the means to, to, to make it um, and the funding to make it through karting and into cars. Um, we're trying to get to a point where we have sponsors and um, a program where we can fund a kid that just has serious talent, uh, put them into carts and then um, put them with a, a F2000 team and kind of try to get them to IndyCar, um, which would never happen otherwise for them because it's just so difficult because it relies heavily on money. So I'm going to say something nice. So cover your ears uh listeners you know that and folks who try and support good things you hear a lot of folks in motor racing too many people say i'd like to do something but i don't know what to do to help others etc etc it's an easy loop to get stuck in of i want to do something but i don't know what and you don't break out of it because the whole concept stays in your head then you have a guy like our boy here, Mr. Power, who has a desire and acts and takes action. And why is Will wanting to help African-American kids and girls and name whatever ethnicity and to try and help create a, a more representative future for them? Because he wants to. Because he thinks it's the right thing to do there's no like i'm an angel and i'm on a mission forever it's just hey that's the thing that he's moved to do and he doesn't allow himself to be caught in indecision or being stuck in his mind the best way to get something done do it so i appreciate the fact that just simply taking action uh, has already had a pretty big impact on uh, a couple of lives will so good on you yeah it's great to see man i mean i know I, I struggled myself to get there i know how hard it is pretty much everyone does so if you can make it easy for someone else and um it's just honestly i just love helping people who have talent man i mean it's you, know, you see a guy and he's got the talent but he doesn't have the funding or the means it's just fun helping people like that it's enjoyable and uh Less talk, more action is always the way I reckon. You don't want to, you know, broadcast it to the world what you're doing. Just get stuck into it and do it, and uh, and 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 get the right people behind it and see what you can do. You like to help people with talent. Now that explains why you've never helped me with anything. All right, I finally yeah. put that together. <laughs> All righty, let's go to our pal Steve Grinstead. This is Mister Power. You get to sneak into Jay Fry's office and write one item into the specification for the next IndyCar chassis. What is it? And he also says, or vice versa, you get to take something away. What do you do? You get to sneak in in this fantasy theory, uh, fantasy scenario, and uh, write in something that they have to do for the next car. No. I've been, I've been trying to make, get them to make that thing put a carbon gearbox on it, make it as light as all get out, lose lose about 100 pounds off the car, make it a real beast again, get down to the 1,500 pounds that uh, cart cars used to be 
that's actually more like we're talking more like 200 pounds now 150 almost knock about 150 pounds out of that thing and man you're gonna have a nimble unbelievable rocket ship they're very fast now but they've certainly gained some weight if i was a race car i might be the current iteration of indycar sadly yes let's go a couple questions here about teammates um mark leonard asks uh, of all he says all your penske teammates but i'll just widen it out to all your teammates if you've had uh in indycar who would you describe as some of the toughest to beat um that's an interesting topic i mean we're not speaking ill of any of them but um yeah curious man because you love a challenge uh you don't you don't win them all but you've got some of your toughest ones from the people sitting next to you in the transporter yeah i've uh yeah i mean to narrow it down to one of the toughest of all all have their different strengths um yeah i'd say new garden's probably the best all-around teammate that i've had since i've been at penske uh, Simon can certainly be forced to be reckoned with on 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 his day. Um, Elio, there was a time where in qualifying he was just phenomenal. There's just times on some of these street courses I could not out qualify him. Um, so uh, yeah, Briscoe had some very interesting driving styles to learn from. They're all yeah, they all have different strengths that you can learn from and. Um, and you know they're all on their on their best day tough guys to beat uh, yeah it's kind of it's hard to narrow one down as the toughest all inferior though my words though not wills um, <laughs> well, i just hope i just hope i've taught them something but i don't want to teach them too much <laughs> oh lord how oh, funny sorry uh, um Let's see. Reed Alford has a great question about uh, with more dirt, uh, dirt races and road course races uh, coming into stock car racing. Uh, he asks, is there any chance your boss would let you have a go in one of those cars? Would you have a desire if you got a chance, whether it was race or just go test uh, something big and scary on dirt or uh, or even a stock car and road course? Oh, yeah. But I want to do a stock car on an oval, man. I want to race. I would love to race a stock car, either a short oval or, mo- or a mile and a half oval. Um, I would really enjoy that. And and doing, I want to race a sprint car. I mean, oh man, my desire to race one of those is just so strong. But for one, I wouldn't be allowed. But two, the 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 risks I've taken in my life already. I don't think I have much credit left in yeah. working <laughs> because it's it's just. <laughs> Those things are beasts, and man, they have some nasty crashes. So, uh, I so badly want to do it, though. It's tough for me to to uh, not do it. It really is. I, I want to do that. It's uh, they, they look like so much fun. You might have maxed out the credit card there, but maybe you're starting a midget. Yeah. You know, maybe you just start something a little smaller, sh- short track, so you're not going a million miles an hour. You know, we, we... yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, let's yeah. see. Our pal, uh, Jameen Tuttle says, I know from a past episode, you're an avid reader. He asked, what are you currently reading? And do you have a favorite author? Um, actually I read a book recently, which I really enjoyed. It was called a beautiful thing. I think that's what it was called. It was about, uh, a, a group of African-American kids living in Chicago on the West side um, gave me great insight to their lives. It was a true story. And they be, got into rowing, of all things. You know, there's basketball, there's football, but they got these guys into rowing and they ended up being phenomenal rowers and kind of changed their life. They obviously had a terrible um, – they seemed to have a terrible home life at the time. And um, I really enjoyed that book. Right now I'm reading uh, a book by Jordan Peterson, Peterson called 12, uh, 12 Rules, which is very interesting also. Wow. 12 yeah. Rules for Life, I think it's called. 12 Rules for Life, I'm currently reading. A man with book recommendations. I'm just saying, it's so stupid. I haven't had you on the show more often. I don't know why. It's just my failing. So uh, we're going to fix that for sure. Lance Snyder 
uh, who I refer to as my minister of mirth. He always brings some fun stuff. He says, Will, you have the ability to have all the other IndyCar drivers in one place for a pre-event meal, which they must eat. Lance says, just how much Vegemite do you force them to consume before the race? <laughs> That's a weird question. <laughs> you just you have them in one place before a race and, and force them to eat something? Vegemite. Much- you, yeah, you have this power for one race, according to Lance. He wants to know yeah. how much Vegemite do you force them to eat? Yeah, look, I think. I think they'd really enjoy Vegemite. Oh, God, they, they wouldn't. It's the most disgusting yo, I'm, thing I'm in the ta- world. I'm telling you, man, you got to let me prepare it for you properly. Warm, hot toast, melted butter, and just a nice thin spread of Vegemite. I promise you, you would be like, man, this is pretty good. Okay. Well, once we're no longer post-COVID, you got a deal. And I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to do that for you. If you want to film it, so if there's a video of me throwing up that, you know, uh, that oh, would, could no, be fun. No, I, think you're gonna, I think you'll like it. I think you'll like it. I think you will be like, okay. well, I see, I see why these Aussies eat this stuff. We, let's see, in mid-90s on our Genoa Racing Indy Lights team, one of our crew chiefs was Lou Shalom, a.k.a. Low Scrotum. He was a Kiwi. And uh, good old Low Scrotum loved him some Vegemite. And we it was a similar thing around uh, the little break room, lunch room at Genoa. And, uh, it, yeah, that didn't go well. So, But I, I'll place my trust in you, Will Power. Yeah, I could, I could prep you some toast. So you'd be like, this is pretty good. You just got to get your mind set for it. It is not sweet. It's a savory snack. It's salty. I like no. savory. Uh Maybe yeah. he maybe he had some off-brand Vegemite. I don't know. Um, but <laughs> all right, we got a deal here for the future. Uh, last couple questions for you, mate. We got uh, Chuck Kayser says, "All right, no question, just a comment. Thanks, Will, for being so awesome, so fast, and so entertaining." Says you're the most authentic and occasionally awkward interview. Hope you run <laughs> many many years to come for Roger, and can't wait to see you grow long hair and a big beard once you retire. So yeah, he knows me well. <laughs> well, uh, JJ Gertler again is back. This one I love. He says you can pick one piece of music for Colton Herta to play on the drums. What piece do you choose so that you can tell whether he's any good or just a poser? Probably Terror Brock by uh, Smashing Pumpkins. Wow, Terror Brock or uh, What's My Age Again? Um, by Blink-182. I love that. I think, got... you get, I think you get a pretty good indication there. How funny. Uh, I don't see the question directly in front of me, but it was uh, Colton-related. Oh, yeah, uh, Ryan Terpstra. He asked, did you hear about Colton's radio message to Santino uh, on the Friday race uh, where Santino yes. was... Yeah, and he said, ha-ha, wanker. Uh, he asks, yeah. uh, do you see, he just says, do you see what kind of influence you're having on the younger generation of IndyCar drivers? That was a well-placed use of wanker, I must say. That was a very well-placed use of wanker, and, and my wife was very amused by it. She said, you know, Colton, <laughs> must, Colton must really respect you, Will, because he, he called a driver a wanker in the race. That's what my <laughs> wife said to me. I said, oh, really? Then I heard it. I said, yeah, that's, yeah that was good. That was that was a perfect wanker call, I have to say. Yeah, that kid, that kid observes. Uh, speaking of the delightful Liz, we'll got a question here from Matthew Ponto. It says, "Will, how worried are you about next week? Prime Day, Amazon Prime Day is next week." Oh, are you serious? You know what? In COVID, I've actually learned to buy online, so I'm starting to become like my wife. No. <laughs> a little bit. It's all practical stuff, though. But, man, you can be lying in bed doing shopping. I mean, it's insane. I mean, these guys from Amazon, I mean, Amazon knew exactly what he was doing. Like, there is just no better way to sell things than having a whole mall, uh, shopping mall in your hand. You just got a whole shopping mall, like the biggest shopping mall in the world, in your hand. Yeah, no, that's it. All right, well, we might have to lock down the credit card if we're not careful. Uh, let's see, a couple more here, and then we're done. William Matson, this is a great question. 
uh, that William sends in. He says, hey, Will, when you're passing lapped or when you're lapping traffic, do you notice a change in behavior of the slower car once they start to receive the blue passing flags? He says, as a corner worker, I've always wondered how much waving the blue flag actually has in terms of an effect. None. It does not. It does not. I mean, I guess they would be aware that someone's behind them, but they're probably aware anyway um, with uh, uh, radio communication and all that. But really, nothing because it does mean it means nothing in IndyCar. It's 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 not it's not an enforceable flag. So it's something that at this competition level and the amount of different winners and how mixed up our races are with the talent that this field has um it's something that they need to implement they should they should implement that the blue flag really does mean something i mean you can tell the level and quality of driving because we 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 rarely you know look that's almost that's four races with one yellow on a road course four races mid-ohio crazy double header and here double header uh with just one yellow and then that just shows you the level of talent and um, how good people are at their job <laughs> in this it. series. Let's go to Shauna Oakwood. She always sends in great stuff as well. Uh, first of all, she says, congratulations on your win. She says, you are my six-year-old's favorite driver, and he was so happy to see you win pole and completely dominate the race. Also mentions that we were they were at uh, Worldwide Technology Raceway, uh, so he's been a really happy race fan. Shauna says, how did you feel when iRacing muted you on the all-teams chat? You were so funny to listen to. I'm telling you, Power, you were pretty much the only reason I was following just you going off, that's the best thing. Yeah, life. I know. <laughs> it was so funny. Oh, my God, man. The frustration of that game. <laughs> but just going off of people is just so <laughs> – it's such a bad idea to give drivers a button where they can actually talk to other drivers. <laughs> it's just, it was kind of funny, though. It, it pulled people into line. Like – because everyone could talk to each other, you got you got pulled into line. If you had been a wanker, it was like like you have multiple people come out to say, "Yeah, stop being a wanker," and it's like, "Okay, I gotta, I gotta, gotta, yeah, pull myself in the line." And and I kind of said, "It probably wouldn't be a bad idea if we could do that in a real car." <laughs> the things get so heated, man. It would be insane. It would be very entertaining for the fans. But let me tell you, in this day and age there probably would be no sponsors left in IndyCar. Oh. If, if the public could listen to a radio conversation between drivers. This, yeah. this was, that was my recommendation after the IndyCar A Racing Challenge Series was over for one race per year. It needs to be open radio communication between drivers and broadcast live. Granted, there'd have to be a delay. There'd have to be some sort of seven-second yeah, button. <laughs> It'd probably be a two-hour race, just a bleep, instead of hearing any actual words. But, A, I think, oh, I, I think that's where Colton like picked up on the wanker thing. So, I think, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's got to be, it's gotta be from iRacing. Because <laughs> he, oh, no, he must have like picked up and like, oh, yeah, you got to call him a wanker. <laughs> oh my god the other yeah, oh, people people still talk about that restart i did remember that i was like this is how you restart boys yeah <laughs> greg clear me back flags would you yeah oh the the thing that i loved as well was you again this is just a, a knowing you this was a true representation of you because you have a very mischievous spirit of the many facets of your personality. There's a, a strong element of, of mischief and mayhem that you enjoy. And once yeah. it was clear to me that you had just said, I don't give any bleeps. I'm just, I'm going, I'm just going to be my unabashed self. Not only was that so much fun, but the funny part was listening to like my pal Sebastian Bourdais, like trying to shout you into 
you know, order, Hey, stop saying what I forget exactly what he said in one of the instances, but it was like, shut up. Well, stop, blah, blah, blah. You were gone. You were so far gone. You were listening <laughs> to anybody. And I'm like, Nope, you're not going <laughs> to wrangle our boy power. He is, uh, he is off the chain today. So, <sighs> Oh my God. I, I, if I do any eye racing stuff anymore, the mic's turned off, man. I can't. I cannot. It's just, it's just, bad. it's bad karma. Um, but I always made light of it after the race on my Instagram story because it was kind of, when you think of it, it's pretty funny. It was actually an insight into everyone's racing mind. Although I never, if you listen to my radio and IndyCar, I never ever, I rarely go off. Like you rarely hear me curse anyone <laughs> like it's, it's a different story in the real car for whatever reason computer games bring out the worst in people like the worst oh well we just got to do more of it then that's all i can say we got to do more of it um yeah, yeah yeah let's get down to our last two questions one serious one fun jake ziller who's a new listener to the show says congratulations on the big win will it's curious he said at the iowa race you had the uh, the impact there when uh, you had a wheel come off and uh, the wheel nut wasn't secured. He said he's curious, can you elaborate on how you treat those situations once you get back to pit lane and you're with your pit crew? He asks, did it have any lasting effects on things for you and your crew? Um, did the uh, – and basically – how do you deal with something like that where the team makes a mistake and it affects the race? You're the guy in the car having the crash. How do you deal with that when you get back? Because shouting and yelling isn't going to make, isn't going to fix history and wind back time. But it's curious how you handle something like that. Uh, there really wasn't anything that you could say. It was obvious what happened. And, uh, you know, that the, the wheel wasn't tied and it slowly unwound itself and, and finished our race. And, and thank God it wasn't going into the corner that came off because then you kind of look at another broken back and maybe finishing my career. But, um, yeah, it was just, I was, I mean, I did actually sit with Tim and Roger. I was just, yeah, I mean, what can you, I mean, it won't happen again. Again, in that way, um, and we actually hadn't got up to the bottom of exactly what happened. We weren't sure. I mean, it was pretty obvious that the nut came off, and the only conclusion of that would be, yes, it wasn't completely tight and it just unwound itself. Uh, and I'm not sure if we still have the complete answer for that because, you know, when you watch the video, he, you know, the guy doing it had one hand on the gun and one on the wing, you know, was it not completely tired? I mean, that was that was the question. It wasn't really my. I was just inquisitive about it. I was like, "What happened? You know, how did?" And and you know, there was no answer that night or the the next day. In fact, you know, it had to be reviewed the next week. So, you know, I just kind of, yeah, I was just kind of like, "Yep, people up and down pit lane are making mistakes because they can't train because of." COVID and oh, just one of those things. Obviously, we've had a, you know quite a bit of that this year, and you got to review it, and and it's got to be fixed. And I guess the the so, bigger bigger point uh, to mention here is you're trying to do something in the car. You make a mistake. You chuck it in the wall, rip a corner off, smash a wing, whatever. Obviously, the crew is disappointed because they've put in a ton of work and they're rooting and working their hardest to try and get a team win and their driver makes a mistake. They don't, when you get back to pit lane or the garage unload on you, nor do you unload on your crew. If they happen to make a mistake, because while it's super frustrating for everybody, the reality is there is a, a bond that has to be protected and maintained. And I think that, uh, speaking to, to Jake's question, look, yeah. sometimes you need to yeah. lay into one another if, you know, you've got repeated something that's continually 
uh, happening and you need corrective yeah. behavior. But by and large, maybe you could speak to that, Will, that this is a brotherhood, a sisterhood, and everyone's going to screw up. You try not to, to pierce that bubble of everyone pulling together, though. That's exactly right. And it's very easy to do so because... You know, being the driver, you get very hot and competitive in the car. You're very, very invested emotionally and, you know, you're fighting. You're really fighting for, for a win or a good place and something happens or a bad pit stop. You've got to control yourself, um, you know, and I'm sure a lot of people down pit lane are guilty of it. And I am that that you do lose it a little bit and say something nasty on the radio it's just you just can't do it you've got to control yourself you got to and it's something that i've had to really 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 uh learn to control those emotions and not say it not say it because you always feel bad once you've cooled down and you see the circumstance you understand that we're all human and mistakes happen um it's just in the heat of the battle you've got to it, it's easy to say something that you just don't mean just out of uh, uh you know out of being very uh wound up in the car so it's um you're exactly right it's absolute team sport and those guys want to win as badly as i do and they're doing their best and, and you got to remember that you've got to remember it and it's something that i've worked hard on to just bite my tongue or even not even when you get really good at it is not to emotionally react to anything that happens to you to move on very quickly. It happened to Indy road course, the first race. And we had a pit stop that was 10 seconds too long. Um, and, um, I said nothing and moved on very quickly and didn't even get mad. Didn't get mad, just moved on quickly and did the best I could with the position that we were in for the rest of the race. And then after the race, you ask the question. So, yeah, it's that's mental toughness right there, is not reacting. It's not being tough. It's just moving on very quickly. That is what you call real mental toughness. And uh, it's hard to do, very hard to do. As Will taught us in 2018, Jake, the only outburst acceptable from a driver is respect me. M and effort, but you do that in the cool down lap of after winning the Indy 500. So that part's right, kind yeah. of sort of, okay. <laughs> uh, final question goes to our pal, Harishi Despond. He asks, will, uh, by the way, a photo I took of you at the Detroit Grand Prix is my desktop, uh, background. And I saw the photo. Nice job there. Harishi he says, have you talked to Scott McLaughlin, uh, since you found out he's going to be joining the team for the season finale at St. Petersburg. Uh, and have you given him any advice? And he has one other question I'll pose after that. I have. He's, uh, he called me uh, after the weekend and was just kind of downloading me on this and that and what, how's this work. And, um, that guy's yeah, pretty so special, isn't he? I think he's going to be very good. He's, uh, he's shown that in testing. Obviously, he's no real rookie to motorsport. He's a very well-established driver with a lot of experience at a high level. Um, it's a very different car to what he's been driving, but everything should be better for him because, you know, he's been driving a big, heavy sedan, and the Indy car, the brakes will be better. The, it's got more grip, and just everything's more and better. So it's probably easier to go from that to an Indy car than an Indy car to what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. been, it'll be, what, seven months, eight months since he was uh, uh, last in the car. So, yeah, yeah. it'll be a little I while, mean, if, but he'll if, pick if it he up. Qual if he qualified in the top 10, I'd say that would be so impressive with just one hour. I think it's an hour and a half of practice. Yeah, I would put money on car. it. I'd put money yeah. on it. That guy, that's all the guy does is just defy expectation. Uh, Rishi has one final question for you. We're going to close the show on it. I don't, I think I know what it is. He says, Will, what is your favorite Tim Tam flavor? And says, uh, his is dark and double coat. Man, I've only had one Tim Tam flavor. I've never, he didn't even know that there was multiple flavors. So it's the original, the original Tim Tam. That's, that's, that's all I know. 
it's a ice cream, I think, or am I way the heck off? No, it's, it's, it's what we call a biscuit, but you guys are calling a, what do you call it over here? Cookie, you know, a like cookie. A chocolate, chocolate biscuit. Okay. Yeah, you don't know what Tim Tam is? Man. I thought I did. I mean, I've been down under three, four, five times and I swear my fat ass has probably had one, but I think I'd forgotten. I don't know. Tim um, Tam, Tim Tam and Vegemite. That's, that's as strong as you get. Oh, Jesus. You're going to make me a Vegemite sandwich with Tim Tams as the, instead of bread. I think that's what you're going well, nah, to do to me here. You'll have, I'll give you the bread, two slices of bread done properly with the Vegemite, and then your, your dessert will be Tim Tams. You'll be like, man, that seriously is the best snack slash meal I've ever had. <laughs> I think we've just solved all the world's problems. Willpower, you're sitting fourth in the championship. You are not too many points behind Colton Herta. Strong possibility based on your current form. He's been strong too, though, but I can't wait to get to St. Pete. Uh, obviously, your teammate Joseph Newgarden in the thick of the fight for the championship with Scott Dixon. Things go well for you. There's a very real possibility uh, we could have a Penske 2-3 in the championship uh, or a Penske 1-3, who knows, but more for you to play for at the season finale here coming up in a couple of weeks. Thanks, brother, as always, for taking some time. We learn a lot, we laugh, uh, and then, you know, uh, we call people wankers. So that's about as good of a show as we're going to do. That sounds like a good show. I hope it gets big ratings, man. It won't because it's mine. But, you know, nonetheless, willpower. Thank you, brother. Thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, Bell Racing Helmets USA, and all the awesome listeners who sent in some great questions. Look forward to speaking to you all next week.